Dear listeners, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. This week, as we're heading into Thanksgiving, I'm sure that some of you are dreading conversations that veer into either of those most taboo of topics, politics and religion. Well, to give you some food for thought before the big meal and some potentially big messes, I'm sharing a conversation I had between Baptist military chaplain Norris Burks and cultural Hindu turned atheist religious freedom advocate Amit Paul. The son of a Baptist minister, Chaplain Norris served the U.S. Air Force and Air National Guard for over 20 years until his retirement in 2014. And Mr. Amit Paul is a communications director for the Freedom From Religion Foundation. What may seem like a strange pairing is actually our attempt to model a positive and respectful dialogue between two men who fundamentally do not agree on some of the answers to life's big questions, but as it turns out, have common ground when it comes to one of our country's founding principles, religious liberty. I started our conversation by asking Amit to introduce himself and share a bit about his religious upbringing. My name is Amit Paul, and I'm the communications director of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, which is the largest organization of uh, non-theists of all stripes uh, in the country, 30,000 plus members. Uh, before this, I have a journalism background. Mm-hmm. I was the managing editor of uh, the Progressive magazine for close to two decades, which, like FFRF, is also based in Madison, Wisconsin, a uh, lovely town, the uh, capital of Wisconsin. Um, and uh, my cultural background uh, is um, uh, Hindu, although I'm not very believing, obviously, otherwise I wouldn't, I wouldn't be with FFRF. But I suppose I still culturally identify myself as a Hindu. And uh, my mother, for example, is very devout. <laughs> so she looks a bit askance at uh, <laughs> the work I do. Yeah. But um, still, so. still her son. I'm, all grown no, up no exactly. So she's so indulgent that she doesn't mind whatever, you know, if I work for the Satanists, yeah, she'd be uh-huh. fine with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, we've had, we've had them, on, them on our show also. Uh, yes, it's yes, a very I would imagine. Conversation. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think the thing that was of, of particular interest, I mean, about your story um, was there's there's already sort of a preconceived notion I think people out of ignorance project assumptions on people of Indian background assuming that they're Hindu assuming that they know what what the tenets of Hinduism are assuming that maybe that all Hindus are going to be exactly the same, you know, which was, is a crazy idea that you would think of a country of so many people would all have sort of the same ideology or, or background, and that logically from their religious perspectives that they would come to the same conclusions, right? That, they, that everybody would, if they were raised in a Hindu background, would, would accept that for themselves without any any questions or anything like that. So I was curious in just to, for you to tell us a little bit about your journey. What's your family background like and um, what's there, what was your religious upbringing and, and how did you come to the position and perspective that you have today? So Hinduism is a somewhat unique religion because unlike especially 
Christianity and Islam, it does not have a foundational text. Uh, even the holy text, uh, the Gita, is not followed by many Hindus. The word Hindu itself comes from um, Sindhu, which is the uh, Hindi word for the river Indus. So it is a, a catch-all term of, or, or uh, nomenclature for people living in the land of the river Sindhu. So it has an amazing uh, array of beliefs mm. all under that umbrella term. Mm -hmm. And I, I suppose I grew up in uh, what's now kind of uh, in current day India mainline Hinduism. Uh, my father was not very uh, uh, religious. My mother is uh, and devout, and she follows the religion in her own way. So um, there's no, for example, there's no notion of a collective uh, uh, worship service that has to be followed uh, in uh, certain times uh, of the day or the week, again, unlike Islam and Christianity. And that's why, it's, as I said, it's, it's, it's very diverse and a, a huge uh, uh, sort of array of beliefs uh, under the sort of, you know, that, uh, that umbrella term Hinduism. Yeah. Although uh, most Hindus do follow certain types of beliefs which in common. Explain for us a little bit more. You say your, your father wasn't, wasn't very religious, your mother was. Yeah. What did that look like for you growing up? What, what, did, what were the things that they did or did not do that indicated that they were religious or non-religious? Oh, for example, my father never sort of, you know, uh, I never saw him sort of engaged in worship or uh, going to temple or even on an infrequent basis. Mm. My mother quite the opposite. Uh, I think I escaped uh, my mother's uh, religiosity uh, for better or for worse, probably for the better because I uh, was in a boarding school uh, in India, uh, quite far away from home. Uh, even there, they made us go to a uh, temple uh, uh, during, uh, in middle school. Uh, and but uh, that didn't you know it didn't have much effect on me so uh, so that's the way I think sort of you know more devout Hindus tend to worship a lot uh, because in it's temples no at no, home at home, at home. Okay. exactly my uncles and aunts for example they uh, came to visit me uh, <laughs> my uncle and two aunts uh, just over the summer just a month ago and really much of the morning they were just you know sitting around and worshiping which is why we couldn't sort of leave early for anywhere because <laughs> it was all delayed due to how religious uh, because of how re religious they are yeah saying prayers or chanting or yes or prayers using, and chanting yes. using particular icons or uh, prayers uh, chanting beads Mm -hmm. That's again a fascinating thing, isn't it? That uh, beads are uh, used in Islam, mm -hmm. in uh, Christianity, Catholicism. in Catholicism, mm -hmm. and in Hinduism, mm -hmm. uh, which is really fascinating that uh, religions of such uh, different uh, sort of you know uh, sources use beads uh, so commonly. Yeah. Then for yourself, uh, you said you you sort of dodged your mom's religiosity. Yeah. Yeah. So what did that um, what did that mean? Were you were did you attend any any type of religious instruction growing up or anything like that? Uh, as I said, in my school they made us go to yeah. uh, temple regularly, yeah. but not apart from that and I grew less and less religious as time went on. Mm -hmm. uh, culturally I would still define myself as a as a Hindu. So major um, uh, festivals uh, of uh, there's a festival of lights, which is the most Diwali. major one, Diwali. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, for that we do go to a, a sort of a common gathering. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. maybe a couple of times a year, but not not yeah, not more of that. a cultural yes, celebration. Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, uh -huh. yeah, absolutely. Uh -huh. Interesting. Yeah. 
And so do you, did you find that you had many friends that were in common in this, in this regard, that they had, they had a, um, a, a pretty non-religious upbringing, that it was more cultural than, than a religious uh, connection to, to Hinduism, for example? Yes. So in, uh, among Hindus in India, you will find uh, it's not uncommon to have folks like this, mm -hmm. you know, uh, who are culturally Hindu but don't necessarily go to temple or worship yeah. on a regular basis. Sometimes people have, have a strong aversion to religion, maybe because they were sort of pressed into it as, uh, from their families, right? Um, so do you, do you find that people are just sort of agnostic about the whole thing? Do they make jokes about it? Is it just... Is it something that they're adamantly fighting against? What is sort of the tone and tone? I won't say they, they're adamantly fighting against mm -hmm. it. Uh, mostly they're just sort of blasé about mm -hmm. it and kind of, you know, just uh, indifferent. Mm -hmm. uh, that's mm -hmm. the approach they most mm -hmm. often take. Mm -hmm. But uh, not all of them grow up to, to then join a, yes. a, a, a Freedom From Religion Foundation yes. organization. Yes. Yes. So yes. how is it that you found your way to that yes. group. So the thing that FFRF does uh, even more so, I would say, than propagating non-theism is uh, something that I feel very strongly about, and that's the constitutional separation of state and religion. Mm. And during my uh, job interview, uh, I told uh, FFRF co-president uh, Annie Laurie Gaylor, who's now my boss, that I'm very proud of the fact that both the countries I'm from have both uh, secularism enshrined as a constitutional mm. principle. Mm -hmm. uh, now, in both these countries, unfortunately, it's in danger, mm -hmm. both in the United States and in India. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so and mm -hmm. that's, I, that really makes me feel sort of doubly over, anguished and uh, full of despair. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and motivated, maybe. Yes, well absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. If you're just joining us, this is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and this morning I'm playing an interview with Amit Paul, Communication Director for the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and Pastor Norris Burks, a retired Baptist military chaplain. We already heard a little bit about Amit's journey to his current role, so I asked Pastor Norris to share about his upbringing as well. Well, I grew up uh, in a Southern Baptist home. Uh, my father was a Baptist minister, and it, it was a very, very good home that, that I remember. I mean, not without conflicts, but I mean, I, I feel like I grew up a pretty happy child. So, in other what words, part of the US? In, in California, okay. in different place in California, uh, rural town somewhat. Some, uh, but in other words, it, it didn't make me an embittered. Uh, it didn't push away from my faith. It didn't, you know. Mm -hmm. There was always. I can never remember a time when I did not believe in God. When I've mm -hmm. always been nurtured. Uh, yeah, nurtured. Yeah, in that. Um, I think uh, my big. Uh, I went to, to Bailey University, which is a, a fairly. If you can say liberal and Baptist in the same word, then it's it's as liberal as Baptists get, mm -hmm. and so I went there. And uh, but it really was the change. The after I finished seminary and pastored a church for seven years, it was probably the biggest change in my life. The biggest the biggest movement toward acceptance of other faiths really came about. Uh, and acceptance of non-faith has really came about when I became a hospital chaplain mm. after pastoring when I was 30 years old, and I went to UC Davis in Sacramento, which mm. is a pretty, pretty unpopular university. And so, so how did you make that choice? Yeah. How did you go into the chaplaincy as, as a as a 
Well, uh, we referenced that a little bit off mic. Uh, I was pastoring a church when uh, a schoolyard shooting happened, and I and I went into that scenario to help as a as a as a pastor. As actually at the time, I'd, I'd already joined the, the the reserves, the Air Force Reserve. Mm. So, I came in with some experience in mass shooting and and came in uh, mass casualties. We didn't have any experience in mass shooting at the time. But, uh, this was in the 80s. In, in 1989. Mm -hmm. So came into that scenario and really was profoundly affected by it and and went into, uh, felt like I could maybe get some both some healing and some help by going into hospital work. And mm. so, so. So just to be clear, to you you came in after the effect, after the fact to help the um, the victims of, of the of the shooting mm -hmm. I in, came in, in a, terms of an hour an hour later an hour Amazing. later wow. after an the hour. first shot was fired mm. I came in and was informing people that their children had died in that scenario and over the next year really became profoundly depressed considered taking my taking my own life and in some ways and and uh, discovered a training called clinical pastoral education and and so it teaches people to minister, and it was, it was a bit of a, both a self-help group and a and a and a training. Really, it was an intern. Mm. Just think of it, it's an internship as a mm -hmm. hospital chaplain at, at UC Davis, working in the emergency room and uh, several places. But uh, tell, mm, tell about mm. the ways that you that that experience mm. as a hospital chaplain helped you and helped it's, and you how know, you helped others. It's not an unknown principle that. That people who are hurting, if they find, if they, if they're able to reach out of their own hurt and help somebody else, that there's a healing in that. Uh, and so, uh, responded again to another mass uh, shooting while I was in the hospital. Um, the largest hostage situation ever in the United States happened in 1992 when 50 people were taken hostage in a Sacramento store. Mm. And so. Um, the victims of those shoot that shooting came to uh, seven seven killed and I don't know a dozen shot another they came to our hospital but um, those are all sort of dramatic stories but what I really want to get to is that is it was that training and helping others that really made me reach out and say uh, change me from the the Southern Baptist pastor who used to knock on your door and say if you were to die tonight do you know where you were going you know so <laughs> it really realized that people have all kinds of different faiths and 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 really understood and, and in and in and in our best Baptist traditions we've always stood with the uh, people of various faith and of non-faith and we've stood with Agnostics in, in the Supreme Court, as well as Jehovah's Witness, all those peoples that we just, that's in our best traditions. We haven't been in our best traditions in the last 20 years. Mm. So during my training and during the several years that followed as a hospital chaplain, I, I learned that uh, to help people, I could tape crystals to their wrists. I can put garlic under their bed. I could turn their bed in the healing direction. I could, I could even collect bones to be burned and placentas to be buried. And, uh, and uh, take off my shoes, read from the Koran, and on Sunday I'm a Baptist. I learned that there's a very clear way that I can celebrate my traditions and in my own ways, and if people want to hear about those, I'm willing to tell you uh, uh, what, I, what, what faith does for me, but, but I realize it also does something for you. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Interfaith-ish on WOW 94.3 FM. 
I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and this morning I'm playing an interview with Pastor Norris Burks, a retired Baptist military chaplain, and Amit Paul, communications director at the Freedom from Religion Foundation. In this next segment, we start to get into the question of religious freedom and how both my guests live out that principle in their work. Dr. Demet here a little bit in Freedom from Religion. I think uh, it wasn't until I became a military chaplain uh, that I realized that, uh, an Air Force chaplain, that I realized how often people were not given a freedom from religion. I grew up in California. Everybody had a freedom from religion there. They go to church. <laughs> we, we used to say the hills of California were white with the letters of church, church letters that people had left, their, their, their memberships that they left on the, the when they came to California. But uh, <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> but I really learned, uh, you know, I remember one experience when a commander, uh, when my chaplain assistant said I had to, he had, two people that wanted to talk to me and they, they needed to complain about their commander who, who had a fish symbol on the back of his, uh, right behind his desk. So when you stood before the commander to talk to him, you knew he was a Christian. Mm. And then he started asking these two guys about where they went to church. Now they had been called in there to be disciplined. Now what do you think they felt like they needed to answer? They needed to feel like they were, well, yes sir, we're Christian just like you. And so that kind of woke me up to the realization that there were more, as I got to talk to more and more of the young people that realized that they were, they felt like that they, they were very angry, you know, and, and, and this is where it kind of broke my heart as a chaplain. I don't want you to be angry for whatever, whether or met, whether you left your faith or not, or, or don't have, or theist or non you know, anger, Anger hurts people, it hurts you, and hurts others, and so I just, I, I wanted to make a safe place for, I wanted, I wanted my airmen to know that they could come and talk to their chaplain, and that they didn't want to talk about God, they didn't have, we weren't going to talk about God. You know, all these things that I grew up with, the, the Bible, Jesus' teaching, um, when I was eight years old, I, I walked the aisle of the church just, yeah, I'm a stereotype Baptist. I walked the aisle of the church and wrapped my hands around the pastor, told him I wanted Jesus in my heart, and, and I felt a real change. I mean, oh yeah, it was not, not like I was uh, out doing drugs and drinking at eight years old, but, but it still was a, it's an experience that I remember, and, right. and it means something to me. And I don't force that on others. Uh, I just, I want to hear what's helpful to you, whether... Yeah. yeah. Well, I wonder so. if, if um, actually this idea of mm. humanist chaplaincy mm. right. factors into the work that, that the yeah. freedom from religion um, right. encourages. So yeah. is, that, is that something that you all have worked on in, in any of your work around the country? Oh, absolutely. We, we have tried to uh, convince uh, the U.S. military to have humanist chaplains. Mm. There is another organization, like-minded, mm. uh, uh, brotherly slash sisterly organization of ours called the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, <laughs> a name that is uh, quite similar to ours, mm -hmm. which is doing uh, its work just on this and its focus being this. But we do uh, do a fair share of our work on this also. Mm -hmm. Mikey yeah. Weinstein? Mikey, Mikey Weinstein is yeah. the name of the mm -hmm. uh, person who heads that he group. Talk. Yes. What is the work then that, that you all are doing to, to help make this country a, a safe place for them, for, for them to live and thrive? No? Well, that's the work we do every uh, day, day in and yeah. day out. 
And it starts with uh, not uh, acquiescing in the imposition of the majority religion uh, in uh, instances uh, around the country, uh, ranging from, uh, and it's nearly always, people ask us, why are we doing our work so much around Christianity? That's because Christianity is the dominant religion in this country. There aren't too many instances of Islam or Judaism, even less so of Hinduism or Buddhism, being imposed on uh, populations of any, uh, any magnitude. But uh, Christianity uh, in schools, you know, pastors and uh, ministries are invited, uh, school board meetings, uh, Christian prayers are said, uh, state houses, the national level, and we keep on trying to convince them, hey, look, this is more and more out of sync with uh, the way the United States population is and the direction it is headed in. Mm. Because more and more young people are openly saying that they are not of any organized religion. At, 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 at best or at most, they are spiritual, but following kind of a faith, an eclectic faith that takes bits and pieces from different faith traditions. And so imposing a Christian kind of paradigm on them is being uh, oppressive and also uh, obviously unconstitutional in a country that's uh, uh, where secularism is enshrined in the U.S. Constitution as a founding principle. If I may, to yeah. even to take up a Met's case a bit, yeah. just from the insider, you might want to know, your listeners might want to know, a, a chaplain, the, the reason they need a chaplain, and I wholeheartedly say they do, a chaplain is the only one in the military who you have complete confidentiality in. You can literally, literally walk into a chaplain's office and say, I just killed both my roommates. That chaplain cannot pick up the phone and call the police on you. Mm. He, he, anything you confess, I've had friends who's, who's been told I'm selling secrets to the Russians, they cannot tell. Now, so enter a, 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 um, an atheist, an agnostic, he has something to unburden himself from, herself, and he, and he doesn't feel like he can trust a Protestant chaplain like myself. I've worked very hard in my units to make sure people understood they could come talk to me. And, but I would complain in some instances I had to work too hard. They, they, mm. they should have trusted me. Mm. But they, I can't make them trust me. Mm -hmm. but, uh, Sometimes it just yeah, feels better to yeah, know that you're that, starting and, from the same And that's what they desperately need. They desperately need mm -hmm. to stand up for themselves. Because the, the chaplain also has the right to go to the commander. Like, I went to that commander, told him that you need to take this stuff down. This is wrong. Mm -hmm. I couldn't make him. He didn't. But, but it, they're, you know, they, they had a voice. My, mm -hmm. yeah, so. Well, I think that yeah. even your, your, your story actually illustrates another issue that, that Ahmed and, and his group ha has discussed, which is the idea of there, there being a, a, a certain privilege afforded to Christian groups, mm -hmm. and, and particularly in the context of, of government and, and the military being, being a part of that, right? To have a military commander overtly um, proclaiming their mm -hmm. their faith mm -hmm. um, when we are supposed to have a separation of, of church and state, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't I don't know if there was a if if there have been uh, Muslim commanders in in the military 
that you know have uh, various articles you know the name of God or something proudly right. displayed behind right. their desk you don't usually have that problem with that, that group right exactly so it's not it's not going to be there but it majority but it would be yeah right coming from a position of privilege and, and so forth so um, uh, Ahmed could you talk a little bit about about the work that um, that you're doing because it's really it, it I think the an important thing to understand is that we're not just talking about the individual level, while that's an important aspect of it, and ultimately it probably comes down to that in a lot of cases, the individual decision as to whether or not one believes in a higher power. But we're talking about on an institutional level, at a government level, that separation of church and state, right? Uh, absolutely, Jack. Uh, uh, we emphasize again and again that it is so alienating for people of minority faiths and or of no faith at all when a governmental institution that's meant to represent all of us is only representing some of us. And in order to have confidence and faith, so to speak, in our governmental institutions, it is really, really uh, imperative that uh, they not be seen as biased, and biased also in the religious sense toward the dominant religion in, uh, in the case of the United States Christianity. Mm. It really undermines trust and confidence. So it's important at that level, uh, especially with an increasingly diverse population. And obviously, it's important at the constitutional level also. Mm. It's mm. a founding principle of the United States that uh, there needs to be separation of state and religion. And, you know, we are proud of the fact, and we should be, that the United States was the first country in the world to put this principle uh, uh, into theory, in theory, and into practice. Mm -hmm. and, and that's been uh, the case in spite of violations, and those violations are the ones that we deal with for the past 200, and 200 plus years. Yeah. Uh, and can, you, and can you talk about some of the work that Freedom From Religion Foundation is doing on, on these issues of, of separation of church and state specifically? At every level. <laughs> it's from the level, as I said, of uh, a school inviting uh, pastors and ministers in or having the Ten Commandments up somewhere in the school, public schools, of course, uh, up to the level of uh, school boards and county boards starting off the meetings with prayers and thus basically making citizens who are not Christians feel like outsiders to state houses and uh, passing bills that are explicitly Christian. Um, and up all the way up now, especially now, uh, the White House and Congress uh, issuing um, either laws or executive orders uh, privileging Christianity. And in the name of uh, increasingly now in the Trump administration, uh, in the name of religious freedom, uh, what we would like to call uh, basically religious prejudice against uh, especially LGBTQ folks uh, on the issue of choice and on so many other issues. Uh, so we are sort of, you know, uh, engaged in a sort of in a multi-front battle, mm -hmm. uh, and even more so since uh, January 2017. The U.S. is, is an incredibly diverse place, right? And, and the idea of having chaplains, um, it's a resource mm -hmm. that is in the military, is at universities, it's in the police force, whatever other branches that are there, obviously, there may even be uh, advisory councils that, that help provide a voice for either the mayor or the city council or whatever, all the way up uh, the various levels, up and down and so forth. 
And I imagine it can be very tricky to navigate it because as soon as you introduce one, no matter how small or large the group is, there may be a call for why isn't there then representation for another. So I wonder in your experience as a chaplain, how is it that, that one navigates that to provide these resources in an equitable way? Good training. Good training. I'm going to tell you the difference between, I, I call them, you don't want to be talked to by the chaplain that just bought the jacket. <laughs> the chaplain that just bought the jacket, he's the guy that says, I'm going to, I got to, I got to be a chaplain. I want to. But by, by training, by having people go into professional training, and we call ourselves professional chaplains. I don't love the term, it sounds kind of high, but uh, we call ourselves professional chaplains. It means that we, we did attend uh, uh, interfaith kind of training mm. and people all the time ask me oh I suppose you have to know what Hindus believe and six and all this and I no you know I'm gonna I'm gonna train you both to be good chaplains Jack tell me about what you believe mm. what do you believe about what's after this or what do you believe how do you where do you find comfort Jack where do you where do you go to what do you go to uh, in terms of a physical place or, or, or a spiritual place, where do you go to to find comfort? And, and, and when I ask people those questions, I, that's where I learn as a chaplain. That's, in other words, it's about a, a chaplain that learn, a chaplain is, should be one that learns to listen and hear what people need. When I'm now working in a hospice area, I, what matters is the care that that patient needs, not what I need to bring to them. And then I've had plenty of patients say, now you talk to me about God, there's the door, chaplain. I go, oh, okay, let's talk about sports. Let's talk about where you get comfort in everyday life. And I just want to interject one thing, and maybe it's still, I think it's still in the subject, but you know, you're talking about those pastors that come into community meetings for their prayers and all that. And I, I hear that a lot, pastors say, well, I, I think I, I should be able to do that. And I just ask him this question. And, and what happens when that same city council has a Muslim? Are you, are you going to be okay with that? What happens when that same uh, city council has uh, an, an, an atheist group, uh, whatever? They, but atheists can't pray. Well, they can stand up and say what they believe. Why don't you? So. Usually, and I get a lot, I still get a lot of, we should have return prayer in school. Well, who do you want praying? The Jehovah's Witness? Or, do, you know, that really rattles Baptists. You say the Jehovah's Witness is going to pray. <laughs> so, uh, you know, prayer for everybody, everybody's kind of prayer. And this recent in the news about, can we bring the Bible to work school? Well, yeah, you could always bring the Bible to school, but you want to make a movement about it? Then you're going to see the, 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 the Hindus say, we're going to bring the, I won't say the name of the book. I can never pronounce it. Bhagavad So anyway, so um, yeah, uh, yeah that really rattles me. You could always bring the Bible to school. Nobody ever said you couldn't. What does the foundation feel about those sorts of positions? Is that a, a sufficient response that somebody just receives proper training to be... To respect all faith. Yeah, and yeah. Or, or is it is it is it adequate to be able to say you know we're we're having a Baptist chaplain we're having a Muslim chaplain we're having a humanist chaplain and you know as, until the funds run out we're gonna we're gonna try to be you know provide as many of these diverse perspectives as possible. What 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 do you think? Well, to be honest, we've been advocating for humanist chaplains, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean what uh, uh, Pastor Norris is saying is not 
uh, infeasible that you know that that uh, somebody of uh, religious background cannot be uh, given enough training and empathy to empathize and to sort of you know to to uh, identify with uh, diverse faith backgrounds and people of no faith. Mm-hmm. That that certainly is, is is something that can be considered as an alternative. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, for the major part, we do. Um, we do uh, advocate and champion for uh, humanist chaplains yeah. to be in the military. What would an ideal America look like if we were able to live by the the separation of church and state that you're that you're advocating for in in all circumstances? Like, what would that what would that what would be tangibly different than than what we currently have? In a number of ways. Uh, people don't realize how much uh, a certain interpretation of faith touches and impinges on so many other issue areas. Let's take one where it's been very, very uh, tangible and very visible over the past year or two, the whole push toward restrictive abortion laws. Uh, As we say again and again that the only organized opposition to choice and reproductive freedom comes from a religious perspective. If you remove that, then definitely, you know, you are removing the source, the ideological source for all these uh, anti-choice laws that are now being sort of, you know, pushed through state after state. And it may lead to, may and hopefully won't, uh, to a situation where Roe v. Wade will be overturned, and then we'll see a very, very different United States uh, from what we have right now. So that's just one example. It sounds, it sounds like it's a process, right? That this idea of separation of church and state, you were mentioning at the beginning, it's a, it's a theory. It was, it was enshrined in the Constitution, but it's, it's something that we're constantly refining constantly working at and we've had periods where perhaps we've been better at it and periods where like the one that we're in right now where it's definitely a lot messier so is that is that is that about right is that that this is something that we'll never arrive at a perfect place do you feel that that's the case uh absolutely uh, Jack, um we joke at the freedom from religion foundation that ideally and at some point in time uh, we'd be out of existence because, you know, there'd be uh, the perfect secular uh, state uh, that'd be achieved. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And so you're right, it is a process. And I think it's almost a never-ending process, if not literally never-ending. I hate to use the word literally. <laughs> uh, often people don't uh, use it the right way. But, but in this case, I think, yes, I mean, absolutely. It's, it's, um, as long as the United States is in existence, yeah. we'll be having those battles, yeah. and we'll be needing groups like the Freedom From Religion Foundation to safeguard the constitutional uh, separation of the wall between the state and church. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and this morning I'm playing an interview with Amit Paul, Communications Director at the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and Norris Burks, a retired Baptist military chaplain. As we came to the end of our conversation, I asked Norris and Amit if they had any questions for each other. The, the, the only the area that I might have some trouble sometimes with... Uh, with agnostics, and I, I don't think a met, but 
uh, but there's some, and we we talked about that yes. question is 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 what I what I've heard called the angry atheist, the atheist that gets about as much anger as Jerry Falwell ever got. You know, like I mean, the one that says. And, I, and I've read I've read excerpts that you know say hey we just uh, we just we need to eliminate religion from the world entirely and and uh, I just don't think that's America either mm -hmm. I don't think that's uh, we get a lot of traditions from her I mean, people ask me all the time well if we had no religion we wouldn't have any wars yeah well we might not have hospitals and orphanages and you know a lot of other good things too so uh, I I believe that. Um, uh, the the atheists have good reason to be angry. I I get that they've been persecuted, and I even read a recent poll that said America would most Americans would never vote for a agnostic president. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why? 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 <laughs> you know, I don't think any president presidential candidate would ever dare identify themselves an atheist. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Do you think we'll see that day? Well, not any time in the near future. We have, of course, we keep close track of those polls and they fill us with despair. And that's why even at, uh, let alone president, there aren't too many politicians right. who openly right. identify as uh, non-theists or free thinkers. In fact, the first openly uh, non-theistic politician uh, came out, so to speak, uh, extremely recently, at least at the national level. His, he is Representative Jared Huffman from California, uh, a congressman, and he was actually uh, the guest on our, the opening guest on our uh, new season of our Free Thought Matters television show, mm -hmm. discussing that. Uh, so there is a Congressional Free Thought Caucus now of uh, 10 members or so, but they, uh, except him, none of the others actually openly say uh, that they're non-theistic. They're just people who are concerned about uh, this country following secular principles and uh, obeying the constitutional separation. Mm. Any any questions for Norris? Uh, Pastor Norris, I think uh, you've engaged in fascinating work, and I really uh, you've talked a bit uh, about uh, your life journey that uh, led you into acceptance of non-belief, which is fairly rare. Could you touch a bit more on that and uh, how you've sort of you know uh, become if I may say so, so broad-minded and so accepting, uh, not only of diverse faith traditions, but even of no faith. Right, well, um, I'll see, I retired from the Air Force uh, four years ago. The last eight years I was in the Air Force, uh, I had a, 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 I needed a chaplain assistant, and I was interviewing for the chaplain assistants, and they sent me uh, a, a chaplain assistant, uh, uh, named Webster, that was his last name, I always called him Webb, and so uh, Webb um, was, uh, was an atheist, was an agnostic, and I got real questions, why are you interviewing somebody that's, uh, I said I interviewed him and uh, he would do the job for me, and I learned that a, a, a how, I'll, I'll call it a well-loved atheist, because we loved him, you know, it was like, will treat you also with respect. And his job was to make sure that people got access to me and he, he would set up, he would, he would set up the religious, uh, the worship with the Bible and all of that. He'd make sure everybody had a Bible that wanted one that came to the Protestant services. In other words, he respected what I did 
and I had to respect his faith or you know um, now I'm not willing to call um, I believe everybody has a spiritual side. Now, I understand, and your, your colleague taught me a little bit about that terminology. Maybe you don't feel safe identifying some spirituality, but uh, I remember your, your colleague gave me the illustration of when I see a beautiful painting, and I touched his spine. I said, anytime, anything, anytime you feel a tingle in the back of your spine, to me, I call that spiritual. So you may be agnostic, but I still believe you're spiritual, and that's not a way of putting anything on you. You talked about celebrating. I can't believe you don't feel a spiritual sense when you celebrate the Festival of the Lights. I've had occasion to go to that. I feel spiritual there. I feel happy. You know, that's to me spirituality. That's a presence outside of ourself. Whether you want to identify it as a deity, I don't care. But it's something besides. We, I believe we have to have something besides ourselves. And whether or not that's the power of humanity, you want to call it that, or the spirit of humanity, or to, um, if I believe what I really do say I believe, if I really believe in a loving God and all of those things, I, I have to believe that God made you with the same image he made me in. And so that's not to put religion on you, I, but I mean, I have to accept you as a fellow creation that's what my faith demands that I do and so uh, that's that's how I come up with that so. Dear listeners, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I want to thank my guests, retired chaplain Norris Burks and Amit Paul, Communications Director at the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Hopefully our conversation inspired you to get into some Interfaith-ish with friends and family around the Thanksgiving table. As you're passing the sweet potatoes, you can just slip it in. On my way here, I was listening to a fascinating interview between a Baptist chaplain and an atheist about one of the key pillars of our democracy. You know, light dinner conversation. Sounds like fun. So tell us, what were some of the difficult questions you encountered this Thanksgiving? Did it lead to a constructive dialogue, or is there still some unresolved-ish? Isn't there always? Either way, let us know how your Thanksgiving holiday went. You can leave us a voicemail on our special Interfaith-ish listener line, 202-599-2953, or on social media at Interfaith-ish. And of course, keep writing us with the Interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. As always, I want to give a special gobble-gobble to my fellow interfaith astronauts Miranda Hofmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, and our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. You all get an extra slice of pumpkin pie for being so good. And thank you, dear listeners, for spending your hour with us. You can find our entire catalog of interfaith-ish episodes for your ride home on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Don't forget to let folks know about our show. I'm sure somebody's parents are going to ask them how they download podcasts, so it might as well be our show. Anyway, Interfaith Dish will be back in two weeks. Until then, have a great Thanksgiving holiday and keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.